Hey, what's up? Welcome to Steve McGrath's Basecraft. So, um, I'm kind of, I'm getting back into the practice. I've, I've been messing around with some gospel stuff on YouTube and working on my inner pulse by making drum beats. And then you take out a few bars and make sure you're still in time. Come back in on the one. So, uh, yeah, I've been enjoying the gospel stuff, the way they kind of do these repetitive lines. So they might do a fill that goes. And then another time you might go. Same fill, but in addition octave and it really makes you learn your bass and notes because sometimes we get stuck just playing in the same part of the neck and the rest of it gets dusty so even some of the more complicated fills they'll double up so they might go try that again so you're like covering the whole neck there but you're just playing the same line in two octaves sure looks fancy and hard but it's it's not once you get it under your fingers. So this whole idea of being in the shed and practicing only kind of started for me um, about four years ago when I finished this shed. Well, I didn't finish it. My friends Pascal and Dermot did. And um, yeah, so I, I, I had this nice place to practice. So I needed to find material to work on. And actually today's guest, Jim, Jim Stinnett, was the first YouTuber that I started properly following for my daily practice. And Oh, must have gone on for about a year there where I would just every day I'd log in and see what Jim was doing. He'd be saying like fired up and we do and I'd go through what, what he was practicing and I have some of his books here. Oh, let me find them. Okay, here I got What Makes Motown Bass. Excellent. And this one, which got me my reading shop some way okay. Not haven't practiced it in a long time now, but at the time it really got me up to standard. So that reading for the new reading for bass, that another great book, yeah. So yeah, Jim is an author of 92, I think, at the moment, bass books. Probably more as I speak because he's released them all the time. He runs Real Bass Lessons, an excellent YouTube channel. And uh, he has Stinnet Music. That's where all the books are. And he also is just after starting to do Stinnet Basses, I think, for the last year or two. But of course, we cover all this in the chat. So I'm going to put the details to Jim's links down below anyway for you to check out. The basses are awesome and if any of you ever dabbled in making basses or putting basses together, you know the real magic happens in the setup, making the thing sound and play good. So, yeah, that's probably why I don't sell mine, because some of them don't play very well. They're, only I would play them. But uh, Jim definitely knows how to make them play well, so he has mastered the art of putting the parts together and making the bass pop, which is the best word for it. It's you ha The ingredients are one thing, but putting them together to make, I don't know, when I call it a bass cake, you can a base whatever that's where the skill comes in and jim has got it so i've heard a lot of people have bodies bases they're super happy with them so check them out so let's jump into the chat uh, me and jim really hit it off we spoke fast we spoke about a lot of stuff and that's the way i like it so i hope you enjoy it and um don't forget to like share and comment keep the podcast going and as usual i appreciate all the support keep messaging me and sure let's just jump in I don't know how I came across your channel. Um, for once, the YouTube algorithm gave me something apart from cat videos, and it's, sure, sure. And it came at just the right time because I this room I'm in, I had just finished it. My friend Pascal and his brother Dermot built it for me, and um, I was ready to shed, you know, in my shed. And I, sure. So I was looking for lessons. So, so that must have been it. I must wrote in bass lessons or something. Wow. I, I was obsessed for for a few months there. I was. How was long like, ago was that? Oh God, that was four. How long is your channel going? 
about it's, five years. Yeah, I think it was four years ago. So oh, I think you, wow. So you, you've seen a lot of stuff. Cool. You must have been on around, I don't know, less than 20 or 30 or something. When, yeah. And uh, yeah, I loved it. I was going along with you every day. It was almost like I knew you. Oh. Cause it was like, oh, what's what's Jim doing today? <laughs> well, that's kind of, you can see, that's how I sort of presented it. Hey, play along with me. Get your base out. Let's yeah. go here. You know. I even know your mannerisms, like you'd say, fired up or whatever. <laughs> fired up, baby. Yeah, exactly. I always do that. I'd be waiting for it, like. Of course. Well, then I'll try not to be. Well, actually, I can't be anything. All you see is what you get. So yeah. I'll try not to be too different, too stiff. But what I like about your um, channel is it's it's real, it's genuine, and it's it's in the sweet spot for me. Of obviously, the information is brilliant, but the presentation is perfect as well. So oh, you know, man. you don't go over the top with the video editing. It's exactly where it should be, and I and also you don't put the tabs and stuff on screen. You, you keep, even, no matter how many times they comment below, give me the tabs, Jim. <laughs> That's it, man. That's it, boy. You uh, you, you know how to make a guy feel good, don't you? <laughs> no, it's true. <laughs> I, I thought you the first one, the first things was you were doing like an etude, like um, I think it was yeah. in the key of G, and that was brilliant to get the fingers going and. I was with you then from then, you know, keeping going. It's, it's brilliant. Even got, sure. some the, even got some of the books here. Good, good. Got two of your books, so hopefully get a few more, you know. Oh, cool, man. Those are good ones. Yeah, for someone who's very <laughs> bad at reading, this one came very handy when I got a gig where I had to read. So. You betcha. Well, that's great, man. I'm just, you know, this is the reason I do it, to get people uh, making me feel good, saying, man, I like that network, and right on. Appreciate it. Yeah, so I... Uh, yeah, I, I'm just curious, like you, you sent me on your CV and I was amazed like about you've you've for one, the amount of colleges you went to, you've traveled <laughs> around like you're a bit you're a bit of a vagabond <laughs> for sure. <laughs> but you started out in Oregon. That's yes, that, that's where I'm from. That's your hometown. You betcha out in the woods. I grew up uh, not in a city or a town. I literally grew up out in the woods. It was a community of about 15 or 20 people. <laughs> And really? I actually went to school at a one-room schoolhouse, <laughs> but the little town was ten miles away, and very still, very very small town. Mm. But yeah, that's where I grew up in Oregon. Really? And was there music in in those days? Like oh, around you? Yes. Like? My father was a country western musician, and played steel guitar, regular guitar, and sang. And he was outstanding. I knew it at the time, but I really, you know, started to understand it when I when I became a good musician myself to realize how good he was. So believe it or not, <laughs> I started when I was about six years old, you know, learning C chord and G chord. And he taught me house of the rising sun. And I was talking to somebody just the other day. I learned to play my first instruments were the classics sixties. Yeah. You know, yeah, I, yeah. I, I played my first C chord on his Gretsch country gentleman, like a 1962. And Amazing. my first bass was, I played his bass, which was a P bass in 1960. And he also yeah. had a 64 jazz, but oh yeah. So I had music in my household and all of my uh, father's uh, brothers. Yeah, I had three uncles. They all played guitar and bass and drums, but my father was playing professionally in clubs five and six nights a week. So when I got serious, when I was 12, almost 13, Believe me, not only did I have music in my house, but I played music with him in gigs mm. all the time. I mean, two and three days a week. He'd do six days, but I'd do two or three of them. Uh, when did the bass come into your life? So you were jamming on the electric guitar with your dad, was it you at bet. an early age? Well, what it was, was like everybody, or at least everybody, but most bass players of my era, the only reason we started playing bass is because nobody else was playing it. I had a ton of friends who played guitar. And it, it was when I was 13, I believe, maybe 14, 
my sister had a boyfriend who played drums and he said, Hey, you want to play in our band? And I said, sure. It was a little rock band. And I went there and there was drums, organ, and three guitars. <laughs> so, so we sort of switched off on bass and I'd been dabbling around with my dad's bass anyway. So within a few months, about when I was maybe four, 15 years old that I go, I got to get a bass and start playing bass every day of the week. So that was when I started playing the bass. Brilliant. An electric bass. How long was it out around that time? It was, Oh, well, that would have been 60, about 67 or 8. So it had been around a while, okay, 10, 12, 15 years. Oh, yeah. But there there weren't, meaning it, it wasn't so much that there weren't basses around. You know, music was not accessible in those days like it is today. Mm. All I had to listen to was little 45 records. My dad yeah. would say, here, learn this song from, uh, you know, Merle Haggard or Charlie Pride. And we'd listen yeah. to that. You we didn't have do, stereos we no. didn't have st- all that stuff yeah. you had to do air training there was no oh, um, it was 100 percent. every single like, thing was air training that's brilliant i kind of missed that because i grew up well it was the dial-up internet you remember that the uh, yeah, <laughs> of course i do but i i was dialing up the tabs like when i was a teenager and ah. learning all my flea bass lines and stuff but oh, it was wow. to my detriment really because i had to go back and ear train then later on like no i understand it, people don't really, you know, they talk about it today just the way you did, like ear training. Well, that was how we learned to play. We didn't call it ear training. I just got the record. You copied it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, when did you decide to t- pursue bass as a career? Like, what? where did you go I, uh, from there? Like, Sure. By the time I was a senior in high school, I was playing, you know, my bass and my guitar. Really, by the time I was a freshman or junior in high school, I was playing my bass and guitar. I mean, all day and every day. I'd play it, you know, every time I wasn't at school. But at school, our little community, our little uh, college, excuse me, college, little high school, very small school. My high school had like 110 people in it. Real small little school. And um, but I was playing in, with the band director. He recognized how eager I was. So I was playing in like four classes a day. <laughs> I was playing the jazz band. I played in the concert band. I sat beside the tuba player and played bass. I couldn't read music. You know, I played in the, 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 the country band, all this kind of stuff. So by the time late high school, the band director said, hey, why don't you go to college for music? And I'm like, what? You know, <laughs> yeah. I, we just didn't do that where I was from. You didn't go mm. to college. And interesting enough, a friend of mine who played guitar about that same time said, hey, I'm going to go to this community college and learn to play jazz. So that would have been when I was 17 years old, mm. going out of, a, a, you know, out of high school. And I went to this little community college in Eugene, Oregon. And sure enough, there was a whole band department and they were all playing jazz and funk. That's where I really got into bass. As a matter of fact, I auditioned and the guy said, what instrument do you play? And I said, a guitar, a b- g- bass. And the reason I said bass, not guitar... <laughs> I thought it would be easier. Oh God, no! Not you, that was the era of jazz fusion kicking yeah, off. Oh, believe it was, me, it was getting that would serious. have been nineteen seventy-two ish, three ish. Mm. Oh man, it wasn't easier, but it that was that was when I was officially a bass player. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what kind of stuff were you listening to when you, before you went to college? Were you into jazz, oh. or were you just pop? What, what was ever under under radio? I suppose. Yeah, just the radio. And because of my father's influence, it was all country music. Now, of course, it was rock music, too. But, you know, Creedence Clearwater and Jimi Hendrix and uh, Grateful Dead and uh, uh, all the country players, Burl Haggard and Buck Owens and all those guys. No, I had not heard an ounce of jazz before I went to this community college (laughs) to to learn jazz. You know, guys were saying Miles Davis. And I'm like, Miles who? (laughs) Literally. And I had not heard classical music. I didn't know who Beethoven was. I didn't know any of that stuff. Well, it, it was a real quick education because all the people at that little college, of course, that was in Eugene, Oregon, which was mm. a big city compared to where I came from. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, that was that was when I really started listening to jazz. 
And did you really like it at first or was it more of a <laughs> no, educa- educational all. thing? Yeah, <laughs> very much. Let me tell you a little bitty story, which is true. I told somebody this a while back. Um, guy said, you know, these friends of mine at school said, man, you got to get into Miles Davis. So I went to the record store and there's albums these days. And I bought Miles Davis live at the Blackhawk Saturday night. There's Friday night and Saturday night. I took it home, put it on my turntable and I tried to like it. <laughs> <laughs> I was there. Uh, Chris is pro- might be listening. My old uh, music, music theory teacher. He's a drummer. And he, <laughs> yeah. he kept giving me those records till eventually I stopped listening to the Red Chili Peppers for a while and right. <laughs> enjoyed well, it. I, I listened to every track, but like, you know, a minute's worth. And I'd move the needle over to the next one. And here's the punchline. A friend of mine come over and said, he looked at the album cover and he said, hey, man, I've heard that's a great one. I said, here, it's yours. And he said, what? <laughs> I gave it to him. Honest to goodness, about three months later, I went over to his house, opened the door, and I heard this music that I loved. And I said, what's that? He said, that's that album you gave me. <laughs> <laughs> Your ears so, have just developed so much. I, 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 correct, correct. Everybody's playing it. Everybody's listening to it. So, yeah, I'd start liking jazz. That's awesome. And you had a great time <laughs> in college, but you, you went to study in other colleges as well. Like, Oh, yeah. Was it, was it like master's degrees you were doing? Um, no, not really. The very last one was a master's degree. Mm. The only reason I uh, studied in other colleges usually was to be involved in the music program in the school at the, you know, in the town, in the city. In Seattle, I did a lot of um, music playing, very few classes. I mean, actually, I don't think I took any classes, just studied with the classical teacher on double bass. And I took band classes at University of uh, Washington in Seattle. And then when I went to Texas, I went to university, North Texas State University, and that was to specifically play in the one o'clock lab band. And you mm. may not know it, but that was a famous, a big thing in those days. You know, you were a big shot if you got to play in the North Texas program. And I made the one o'clock band. And again, I only took, we were only required, I think, to take like two classes. So I took a jazz double bass and I don't know, something else, some That's sort class. of, you know, <laughs> basket weaving thing. It's, it's, all, it's like um, you're like an elite athlete and they let you do whatever you want as long as you're that in is the exactly team. exactly right. Right. That is, I never thought of it that way, but that's exactly right. That's so the then when I actually, <laughs> right. So then when I actually went to college to go to, you know, learn school was when I came to Boston to study with Ed Barker. He was a principal player of the Boston Symphony, but I studied at New England Conservatory and got a, a degree there, music degree, bachelor's. And then I also worked on a master's degree there too. Brilliant. And you, you, you did play with a lot of kind of jazz legend, legends oh. in, in that band and the Texas part of your yes. career. Yes. Yes. Mainly, or I shouldn't say mainly in in all the different places I lived, but that was just a prolific one, you know, and then mm-hmm. I was quote on top because I was in the one o'clock band. So I got to play with just endless great people. And of course, you know, one of the, you know, highlights that stands out is working with Red Garland, mm-hmm. because for those who don't know, Red was with Miles Davis for many years and Red Garland and Paul Chambers were, you know, rhythm section mates and i would work with red garland and he would get real drunk and he'd say yeah man sounded like pc back there and (laughs) i was scared (laughs) oh when he said that i was scared to death and i'm like what did he say the first time he said it i'm like what and then he'd drink a little bit more and he'd say yeah man like pc and i'd go oh my god i was scared um so i went home and decided i was going to learn to play like paul chambers and that simply elevated my jazz studies and of course my playing to an entire new level <laughs> well, you know john coltrane doesn't write songs about many bass players <laughs> just the one you know so he, he's it's amazing how few pictures there is of paul chambers like there, well there it was really the era yeah it was supposed it was it shows the time yeah you know yes correct. he wasn't the leader of the band so he, no. there wasn't as many pictures being taken of him no no but that was a so i was in a you know love affair with the music of paul chambers for you know 20 years after that 
Yeah, he's class. He's, his vocabulary <laughs> is amazing. Like he's he's the bird of the base. You know, Bird, Charlie Parker, he's the yeah. bird of the bay. Simple as that. As a matter of fact, let me tell you a little quote, which, whoa, just was a big sort of compliment in my career. I uh, was talking with Ron Carter on the telephone, and I don't know him personally, but he called me to ask questions about Paul Chambers' book and stuff. And I said, thank you so much for using, and I know you've recommended the music of Paul Chambers. And I said, "Is you know, can you tell me something specific you like about it? And he said, oh, yes. He said, I call it accessible bird. <laughs> and i went wow yeah so i always so after that i always called the book this is bird of the base <laughs> <laughs> that's true like it's great they call jacko the Jimi hendrix of the base correct correct so, correct <laughs> but uh it was uh austin a kind of a music town way back then or is that more of a, a recent thing in the last 10 20 years uh, it's always had some jazz but i think uh that's more recent when I was there at North Texas State University, I was right near Dallas. Mm. And it, and Dallas had a little more of a history of, of jazz than Austin. Yeah. But um, but they both had some jazz. Most people just don't know that between the two coasts, there's a lot of jazz. <laughs> you just have to, you just have to be there it. to see it. <laughs> I played in uh, Dallas once in South Fork Ranch. It was like a, cool. a country music festival called Cooler Than Hell. It was 40, ah. degree, it was 40 degrees outside, but it was freezing in, oh. in the venue. And they had a snowman run. A man dressed as a snowman. <laughs> they'd only do that in America. In Europe, they'd of be thinking. Course. But think about the environment. We, why are we doing this in America? Right. This is a yeah. great idea. You also said forty degrees, and I went, "What? No, you mean forty <laughs> degrees Celsius, Celsius? Of course. Yeah, yeah. We're we're in Celsius. <laughs> That's like a hundred and three. That it really would be like going to hell. Then. Yeah, of course. <laughs> And and where did you move then after um Texas? Because it's amazing, like the places you've been, like Brazil and Japan, and oh sure, t- teaching the bass, like it's yeah, yeah. Once brilliant. I once I you know got into teaching and you know sort of retired from playing every day of the week and every night of the week. I did lots of traveling and touring, teaching and playing concerts. But from Dallas, I went up to a Boston, and I went there specifically to study with a man. I was pursuing my career, learn to play better. I had played jazz for, you know, 15 years at that time, 10 years, and I could play well, but I felt like I wanted to, I don't want to say brush up on, but get serious about fundamentals and mastering the actual double bass. So I went to Boston to study with Ed Barker, and he's the principal bass player in the Boston Symphony. Mm. So I went there and I studied with him, <coughs> excuse me, and part of his requirement was he could only teach students who were enrolled at New England Conservatory. So I became a full-time student at 27 years old at New England Conservatory. I was the old ball-headed guy in the orchestra. It didn't bother me, man. I was learning classical and I was studying with Ed Barker. That's amazing. That's, like your your uh, hunger to keep learning. Oh, like. that's what it was. That's what it was. And I had no problem with that. I mean, you know, there were a few guys who would laugh and make comments, but like, what are you talking about? You know, four years later, I could play. I was making my, I made my living after I went to the conservatory for four years and studied with Ed. I made my living for the next 10 years doing nothing but classical, 100%. Mm. So yeah, I had, you know, I'd, I'd gotten into that genre and fell in love with it. And then I decided I didn't want to retire, so to speak, in an orchestra. So that's when I started teaching at Berkeley College and, and really expanded. And I got to start teaching all over the world. And was there a reason why you, you leaned more into the teaching than the playing? Did you get burnt out from doing all the gigs or? I think so. Yeah, it was it was it was from 20 years of touring and traveling and gigs and just everything. And I just got kind of tired. And and as a in those days, <laughs> full time working musician, you know, you, you work 300 gigs a year. 
and and you you waited for the phone to ring to get the next gig. Mm. So I went to Berkeley College of Music. Interesting enough, I had been married. I was just having a first child, so I had a steady paycheck for thirty years. <clears throat> didn't well, have to wait. You can't beat that, like. <laughs> Correct. I didn't have to wait for the phone to ring. I had a paycheck. I had health insurance. Plus, um, as a college teacher. It's not like a 40 hour a week job. I had endless time to still practice and play and study and write books. And so, yeah. And I fell in love with teaching, quite frankly. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I kind of fell into it because, you know, I was working, playing in the band, but I needed another income. Of course. But, but you start enjoying it. Well, I, not everyone does, but Correct. I, I definitely started enjoying it. Like, you know, and it, it, you kind of reevaluate the base when you start looking into the minutiae of the things that you do subconsciously to show someone else then you yes. really start learning. like. Oh, yeah. I've heard people say that you really don't learn something until you start teaching it. And it's <laughs> kind of true. Yeah, yeah, I heard Ray Brown say that even. And he said, oh, yeah, I can play. He said, but until I started teaching this stuff, I really didn't sort of know what I was doing. I was like, yeah. Yeah, yeah so of often is the answer when someone asks you, how do you do that? You say, I don't I know. know. <laughs> yeah, you go home and go, oh, let's figure out how I did that, yeah. <laughs> of course. And that's been a passion of mine for the last, you know, 40 years, figuring out how to, convey not my ideas but the things that everyone does to learn to play and to improve in books and to other students so that's that's, that's what i do that's fun and is that where you get the ideas for your books from your private lessons and 100 percent. it's all about what does this student what do these students need to accomplish this to get to the next level mm. so i think about it. i'll simply have a student who you know who'll be into finger funk and I'll just be, and, and after, you know, six lessons, I'll just start thinking, well, I need, he needs to do this. He needs his exercise. Oh, we need to work more on this. And that gives me the impetus to write a new book. I, I did that about a year and a half ago. I took on a new student. And after we worked on fundamental technique for six months, I said, what style do you want? He said, finger funk. Well, six months later, I have four uh, finger funk books out. <laughs> I think they're my favorite videos. You did one on. Oh, you've um, seen those. Cucumber slumber was one of the first. Oh, yeah. Of course, of course. That is such a cool baseline. Alf Alfonso Johnson, isn't it? I learned that baseline back in about 1972-ish, maybe 73. And it's been with me forever. Hey, good music doesn't get old. No, I couldn't get, <laughs> get enough of the lick. I was putting it into everything. <laughs> I know. So and that's how you learn it. That's how you yeah. do it, of course. Man. Well, that's, that's so brilliant. cool that you uh uh you know that you've been affected by some of the teachings I've done. That's cool, man. Great. Yeah, well, it's hard to break out. Uh, I play in an original band, so I don't I wouldn't be learning vocabulary as much but from watching you I, I would be picking up these bits and i really have to like a lick for it to sink in <laughs> sure of course that's normal now of course in my teaching after you uh if you were my student and after you had some fun and learned some licks i'd start making you doing stuff you didn't like why <laughs> because really most people avoid their weaknesses <laughs> oh i'm aware of that yeah i got i got i got some lessons last summer off anthony Muraj. i'm not sure to pronounce his second name and mm -hmm. he was schooling me now. It was online lessons and it was walking. Okay. The thing I don't like learning is walking bass line. <laughs> <laughs> now, hey, let me give you a little miniature lesson here. It's only 20 seconds worth. <laughs> I heard a very wise man once say, people are always down on what they're not up on. I have found in music that to be 100% true. The only line you, the reason you don't like walking bass lines, you can't do it very well. Oh, you I, get it going and you'll love it. My hand is up. It, don't hire me to be the guy to do the walking baseline uh, in a jazz gig. But I, I'm I'm enjoying deep diving into blues bass because oh um, nice. I I don't think it gets enough coverage. Like you know, some how do you play blues bass to show you the basic line? But if you listen to um Donald Duck Dunn, 
there's a lot there's a lot more going on in his blues bass playing and the bass player uh, the from SRV band as well. Like, mm-hmm. there's mm-hmm. more to in, to learn. So I'm, I'm I'm at the moment I'm enjoying that. It, that is kind of walking bass, but it's not in the jazz style, I suppose. Sure. Well, think of it, blues. Everybody who doesn't even play the blues that goes, oh yeah, one four five. So they yeah. immediately think of it as being sort of simple and dumb. <laughs> mm, exactly. <laughs> and and like me going off to college, I said bass because I thought it was easier. Hey, <laughs> everything is challenges and got its intricacies if you'll dig into it. Oh God, yeah. There's there's the level is can go to the top. And uh, some of your That's students, cool. you've had some amazing students. Oh your, yeah. Your son Grant, he's brilliant composer. Oh. His compositions are brilliant, like as well. Aren't they unbelievable? Yeah. He he transcended beyond just playing the bass he mastered that to really his compositions and his overall textures and his techniques and oh yeah he's doing yeah. quite a bit of film scoring today yeah i've been checking i, I follow him oh, as well yeah very, good very, you've seen some of his stuff then yeah, yeah it's pretty cool, cool. He, he brought out a single there recently it reminded me of tool the the rock band the singing he yes was yes the singing he was doing with the cool video uh i don't know what you call it but all that illustration stuff that he's mm. doing is really cool too yeah and so yeah well what's uh, charles burr too another student oh. yours He's been, Charles. On your, been on your channel before he blew up on YouTube. He used to be featured on your channel. Of course. Charles took lessons from me for five years. That's crazy. His success you know, I, is amazing I, this year. I jokingly say, I taught Charles everything I know. <laughs> and then in the next lesson, we went to. <laughs> <laughs> Charles is a great musician. He's after it. And, and as you can see, everybody loves all the cool stuff he's doing these days. Yeah, his channel is massive at the moment. Oh, yeah. He's just there is, as you can see, there is nothing physically he can't do. Mm. I mean, anything. Yeah, he's so a beast cool. with the chops. Well, oh, what, totally. What made you decide to like you? You've you've been you've been publishing books since the eighties. You had like mm-hmm. over fifty books out. What made you make the YouTube channel? Was there any impetus to it? Oh, of course there was. I love teaching, and when I decided I was going to retire from Berkeley College, the program where we're offered there is three years of sort of planning for retirement. So as soon as I turned to my paperwork and said, I'll be retiring in three years, I decided I've got to do something so I can keep my, just keep the juices flowing. Yeah. Have some students to work with, have some guinea pigs to put my books on. <laughs> so I started two years before I retired, I created the Real Bass Lessons uh, YouTube channel thinking I'll develop some following here and I'll get response. And that's where I'll teach and expose my uh, materials. And mm-hmm. that was the whole reason for it. And it's worked out very well. Yeah, have you have you enjoyed the experience of it interacting with the people and getting all the messages? Well, obviously you're enjoying that. There's been oh, no negatives, I suppose, is what I'm wondering. Um, not negatives for me personally, meaning some of the people make negative comments. Well, I treat my online community, my online YouTubes, just like my classroom. I don't allow. I don't allow negative. Mm-hmm. Every day of the week, or not every day, every week. Oh, three or four or five uh, uh, comments. I just go delete, delete, delete. <laughs> That's brilliant. You can. Well, engage. those guys who go, man, I want me. I've got a right to have my own opinion. Yeah, take it someplace else. This is my classroom. Exactly. I would never, if I was in a classroom at Berkeley with five or six bass players or a whole room full of students, I would never allow someone to be negative and say garbagey stuff. I'd ask mm-hmm. them to leave. Yeah, and if fair I, play. If they, and if and if they wouldn't, I'd have a big guy in the class make them leave. <laughs> but uh so so yeah no you know i just i just don't allow the negative I just don't allow. You're it's very, my classroom you're very generous with your time though like you you, you, you reply to most people so every should... single time i can i try to do it all the time 
and I've developed, you know, a loyal following, people who buy the books, people who take lessons from me privately, besides all sorts of stuff. Yeah, mm. it's, it's been it's been just fantastic. And I was telling somebody again just recently, <coughs> excuse me, while my channel isn't, you know, like Charles's, you know, it's I don't get, you know, 10,000 views of, you know, a, a second. Yeah. I have a large classroom is what I have. Yeah, I, 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 I feel the same stuff I put up. I might sure. have thousands of views, but I have a lot of comments and people who are interested and talking sure, about what's exactly. in the video. Like, so that's, that's right. And I need response. I need to see how my material works so I can know if that book works well or if I need to adjust it mm, or yeah. how I should write the next one. Sure. And how, and how did you get your books kind of out to the world before the uh, YouTube channel? Like, how did people know about them? Originally, back in 1980, the first book, uh, I sold it through Jamie Abersold. And in those days, there was, there was no internet. There was no online. So a book physically had to go through a distributor. Well, Jamie Abersold became, you know, by the 80s, uh, the largest distributor of jazz books. And my first book was The Music of Paul Chambers. So he distributed it all over the world and it started selling. I mean, like, just like wildfire. Mm. Well, just because of the reputation, I uh, would sell other books through him. And then other bookstores and places would call me up and say, hey, can we get 20 copies of this book or 10 copies of that? <laughs> and then, of course, when I went to Berkeley College, still, before we all got into the Internet, you know, every student at Berkeley and every teacher went, oh, man, I've seen your books. Can I sell them? Can my friend? Just word of mouth. That's brilliant. But and it, then I started doing the Internet as soon as it was available. But like when Kindles came out, they said, oh, that's the death of books. And when <laughs> when MP3s came out, they said that's the death of physical uh, media. But yeah. same with um, teaching books like we there's nothing beats having the physical book. It's the same. Are you surprised that the book no. is still so popular? Not surprised a bit. I've told people books will never go away. Now, are there more and more people all the time wanting an ebook, reading it on Kindle. Well, this, yes, of course. I get emails and messages every day. Hey, Jim, can I get an ebook version of it? I get guys who send me long emails telling me why I should and how come I'm a bad guy because I don't do it. No, anytime I've ever done anything that's been digital, it gets ripped off and put all over the internet like crazy. A whole bunch of my books are actually photocopied and on the internet. That's so I don't like terrible. that. That's intellectual Plus, theft. Like. Oh, believe me, there's, you, you, you can, I mean, I don't want to get into it, but you can go find dozens of places where you can just download my books for free. Mm. It's, it's, it's crap. But you know what's cool? The musician mentality, and I don't mean just the, you know, casual guy. I mean, the person who's studying and practicing and wants to become a good musician, they have a respect for the teacher and they buy the books. And as you said, you and I found all those people who are dead serious, man, I want the book in my hand. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it is nothing like opening that baby up and playing right there and putting this back in my shelf or in my base case. Mm. No, books won't go away. What, of course, I, the things change, but they won't go away. What I like about having the book is so I come out, I might have 15 minutes to practice and I'll come out to my music room. Exactly. If, if, I, if I turn on all this technology... <laughs> <laughs> I'd be looking at cats or some ridiculous thing on the, on the internet. But That's right. I can get 15 minutes with the book without yes. turning on anything, just yes. my amp. Yes, you Easy. can leave the book open on the music stand. Did you know that? Yeah, uh, I, I didn't. <laughs> I don't have a music stand. So. <laughs> well, you can you can leave it open on your floor. How's that? <laughs> exactly. But um, yeah, that's that's why that's the great thing about them. People love 
books, the physical touch of it, just, oh, my wife is an avid reader. She was an educator for years and still is, but she's just got a massive collection of books. And she's like, I would never be without my books. I'm like, I know, even though she has tons of stuff on her computer and on her little Kindle and stuff. There's just a physical attraction to books. And how long does it take you from inception, oh. inception of idea to publishing one of Because you have so many, like, it's amazing. I've published 92 books now. <laughs> um, I, I'm still waiting. I, I'm working on my first course. It's <laughs> a teachable course. It's going to be about blues bass. Like, Good. But uh, God, 92 books. I have a long way to go. <laughs> well, that question you asked is so difficult to answer because I don't have a you know, there's, I mean, I could give you an average, but I'll just an give average, you the answer. Like, yeah. the, 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 the answer really is, though, some books I've taken 14 years to complete. Mm. Other books I've taken a year to complete. Some books I've taken six months. And there are books that I've written a series of four or five or six in 30 days. It just depends on the flow of it, I suppose. Yes. And since I've been retired from Berkeley College, I have 100% of my time to write books. That's so funny. up till retiring from Berkeley, I would probably average three to four to five to six books a year that I and, would write. And is since Insta then, I've been writing 20 books a year. <laughs> That's crazy. And is it Instabalius? <laughs> you do all the, the uh, finale. Oh, cool. Yeah, they look great like that. And Thank did, you. Did you think when you retired, you might reel things back and put up the feet and, I don't know, play golf or something instead of I <laughs> No, I really didn't. I actually did. Most people don't know this, but I took about two years sort of off. Mm. When I retired from Berkeley, that began what I called the year of the fish. <laughs> I'm an avid fly fisherman. Okay. And, and through my 30 years at Berkeley, I probably fished two hours a year. Well, for the year of the fish, it lasted two and a half years. I averaged over 100 days a year out fly fishing. You need to talk to Les Claypool. He's a massive fisherman. <laughs> he, he's even been on the fishing channel and everything. Like I've seen them. <laughs> but uh, so it took two years to get uh, the year of the fish out of my system. <laughs> and I fish them now, but not 100 days a year. I did. I fished a little over 100 days a year. For, actually, I did for three years in a row. And during that period, I only wrote six, eight, ten books. Mm. But now I just sort of got excited about them again. And I just write them in the morning, write them in the evening, write them in the middle of the night, write them all day long. <laughs> seconds before you came online i had i had my computer open here and i was and i was working on i was actually transcribing a baseline for a book <laughs> <laughs> you got you got the graw for it in ireland graw means it's uh love in Australia. i figured it out i figured yeah. it out yes <laughs> so you, the you word the... is simply it's a passion i can't stop it man that's brilliant and um yeah. well your your recording career like you did are there any kind of highlights that stuck out like because you've you've been in studio with a lot of great for about the first 20 years of my career, recording was not prolific like it is today. In those days, it was hard to find another musician who had made an album because you didn't make it. Mm -hmm. A record company did, and they had to invest thousands and thousands of dollars. So for the first, I don't know, 20, 15, 20 years of my career, I only made probably four or five albums. Then everybody in the world began to be able to make a CD. Mm. And, and in the next 10 years, I made 50 CDs. Yeah. <laughs> and then in the last 10 years, I've made hundreds, but they're all mine. <laughs> but some of the highlights, um, <clears throat> wow. As I mentioned, working with Red Garland, but I never, never got to record with him. 
Oh God, I don't know. There's, 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 there's not, I started to say so many, there's not, but there's some chip McNeil. He's a saxophone player who, uh, you can look him up online. He's a, mm-hmm. you know, he's not, he's a, he's sort of a household name with musicians, but he's not a famous, but I recorded with him, a guitarist, a student of mine who became an outstanding guitarist actually won a, a downbeats oh, about six, eight years ago, readers poll or whatever the guitarist of the year. Yeah. I did all oh, probably his name is Michael Blum. Oh yeah. And I did, I did probably 10 CDs with him. I coached him for the first four or five, helped him learn how to do it. Then he just took off. We did one that stands out. It's called Chasing Oscar. Cool. And it's all Oscar Peterson on the guitar. It's like, really? Wow. Oh, so he, yeah. he came, he's a guitar player, but he came to you for well, of course. theory and theory. harmony. And just, he's... Well, not even that. Just learn how to study and practice. Really? Yeah. 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 Uh, I did, I did a couple of concerts with Fish. Mike Gordon was my student, but I never recorded with him. Mm. Um, Charles, Charles Berta, there you go. He's famous today. Him oh, and yeah. I've recorded, we've recorded a dozen times at you least You did it like a tapping book. Did you write that? You bet. We, we, together, we did yeah. that together. You bet. Um, and we recorded all the stuff together. He did, some of them are separate, but some of them are duets. So, yeah. Yeah, the pieces they're are just, lovely in that. I did one of them before I was oh, learning. Uh, I can't remember what it was called, but they're, they're really nice. And they're not like overly hard to play. Like no. they're just nice compositions. And Correct. Like, they teach you the fundamentals of tapping. You bet. Yeah. So no, that's, that's, you know, that's, that's pretty much all I can say about the recording. Yeah. It's cool. Though. And you have some cool basses like oh. fretlesses and that are good for recording, you know, to give unique sounds. Yes. Like. Yes. Yes. I am right now. The fact that we started 2021, I'm dedicated to finishing a project. I started exactly a year ago, January, 2020, and it's called the fretless project. Mm. And I have eight fretless basses that will be featured in the project. Audio recordings, video recordings, and a book called Fretless Bass. And I'm, you know, videoing each one of those. I've written songs for them. I've got exercises to work on them. And yeah, they're they're wonderful basses. You can find all that on my you know YouTube channel. Cool. And your your bass building, you're you're really getting into that. Yes, I. Uh, oh yeah, I've, I had such a great time. I have dabbled in bass building all of my life. Well, I told you when my when I started playing guitar and bass from my father he had a small music store and i was the repair guy but ever since i was you know 12 years old and i finally just decided i want to make basses for my student that i feel like are better for the value that they can get out of the place so yeah i've been doing uh stanette custom basses for what about two years now yeah and i have some nice ones a bunch of people has it rob gorlay just purchased one last week and oh it's a beauty yeah rob I- gorlay's a friend of mine who's a wonderful mm. player I tinker as well. I love taking bases apart oh, nice. and putting them together. But nice. it's a big step to <laughs> to sell one, isn't it? Like it's to to have the confidence in yourself. Yes, it is. And I'm I really don't consider myself, you know, a base salesman or a luthier in the sense that I don't advertise myself to the public. I don't have a stock room full of bases. I don't have a showroom. Mm. I basically just build bases for my community, mm. and so they are trustworthy. But as of this at this time, still knock on wood. Every single time person's bought when they've gone, this is incredible. So <laughs> well, that's great. Well, the, you're putting seriously good parts in it, but I think yes. the, mag- the magic in a, a cost, in a build is making it play good. And that's it where, is. that's where your experience comes in. Like. It is. I appreciate you saying that because some people say, Oh, Jim, you just put them together. Well, that's what everybody does. Well, I guarantee you know? if you buy 3000 euros worth of warm up parts <clears throat> and you don't know anything about bases, 
that thing is going to play like a dog. <laughs> I had a guy do something just a couple, maybe a week ago. That was so funny to me. It was kind of stupid, but it was funny. He emailed me and sort of a little accusatory manner. He said, I know where you get your parts. I priced it all out. I've ordered every single thing. Would you put it together for me? <laughs> and I politely said, no, come on, <laughs> good, man. Good, good luck with that. <laughs> exactly. You know, Anybody can make a crappy base. <laughs> yeah, honestly, it is. It's, but it's tiny little details that only oh, come with, with experience with all those micro yes, adjustments and things like. Yes, it is. I have paid attention. I've done it all my life. I mean, I've literally put together hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of bases over the years, taken apart more, repaired them, and I've and I've hung out in luthier shops. You know, a big part of my life, just watching, learning, seeing all that kind of stuff. So yeah, it's been real fun doing the the Stinnett custom bases. Yeah, I like watching um Stumac, you know, Dan Earlywine. <laughs> of course, those are great. That guy is a genius when it comes to fixing guitars. He's just oh, he's, he really is. He's one of the few people I've never met, and I'd love to go to his shop for five days and just watch. You know, ask yeah. questions. <laughs> he, I say he has a lot of hacks. He's always like gluing. Sandpaper I know the things and coming up I with know. little gadgets. Exactly. I'd love to learn how to do this stuff, but I'm just too busy writing books. <laughs> <laughs> your your life is based like you're surrounded. There's, it is. You've got the teaching, the building, the books, making the, the YouTube. You don't, do you find it hard to keep the flow of the YouTube videos going? Cause no. video editing is time consuming. Oh, believe me. I know that. No, I've considered myself very fortunate that I, you know, eat, sleep and drink base 24 seven unless I go fishing or my wife and I watch movies or whatever, but it's something that I've loved all my life. And now I just get to do it every day. No, I don't find it hard to do the base, uh, continue with the real base lessons. Yes. The video editing and stuff, all of that is difficult, but I try to do as little editing as editing as possible. Cause I want to make it look natural. You opened this whole conversation saying that one of the things you liked about those videos, was they look very natural. Yeah. They weren't over edited. They, no, man, I just basically like teaching for 40 minutes and going bang. You, you'd be surprised. <laughs> Out of every 10 videos, I might have one edit. Really? That's crazy. I suppose I'm, you're, I'm you're not, so, you've done so many, you're after getting yes. better. And it's, it's like everything in life is a muscle that you can well, work on. Yes, it is. Understand. Be, I taught for 20 years before I ever started Berkeley College of Music. Then I taught at Berkeley College of Music 40 hours, 25, 30 hours a week for 30 years. My and I've written books on all the stuff. Man, making the video lessons, it's just like, which one do I want to do today, man? Let's go. That's great. Because I'm doing a beginner base course for, um, <laughs> I work, I'm working for like a, a an organization here called Music Generation. And mm -hmm. they want me to make like 15 beginner base videos. Ooh, that's tough. And I'm finding it hard. Like it's, it's not, I don't have the muscle like you have just, oh, today I'm going to do another one. And it comes out. Well, that's, me. that's really what it is. People even ask me, maybe I, maybe I can answer this, which you didn't ask, but it's part of it. Jim, you know, how do I write a book or should I write a book or Jim, should I start teaching or should I have a video channel? And the answer to all of that is no. Mm. If you have to ask me, no. Yeah. <laughs> because it's going to be tons and tons of work and you don't know what you're doing. Exactly. Now, if you have a burning heart desire to do it, hell yeah, get started today, man, because you need a lot of experience. Yeah, exactly. You need to get past the the, cur the learning curve. and it's That's quite correct. Steep. And it takes years. And I mm. can knock on wood and say, fortunately, I'm still here. <laughs> I've still, I've been doing this a long time. So it's just like falling off a log, man. I love it. Absolutely I think, love it. I think that ties into like your, your love for learning the bass. 
Yes. You, 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 and then you, you, you wanted to learn video editing and all these other things. Yes. Yes. And like your yeah. camera and everything, like you have it all sorted. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, well I we, had, my, we had a bit of technical difficulties before we came on air, but between yes, the two, I know. The two yeah, bass players, but, in was, but, we fixed But it. very quickly, you worked all your problems out. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just had to be sarcastic. Uh, Jim's a pro, guys. You know, I'm only <laughs> I'm only learning here. This but, uh, is so fun. Uh, it's, it's great. You know, we, we obviously, I'm at home all the time now. I, I used to play 100 gigs a year. Like, I'd be gone mm -hmm. all the time. Mm -hmm. At least we're getting, my, I have a philosophy when it comes to this whole COVID thing. Look, things are going to go back to normal eventually. But right now, we just have to take advantage of all this free time we have. That's it. That's it. There's and a little. There's a little line out of that uh, Hobbit movie. Actually, it's the other one, the Lord of the Rings movie, and it's something about I wish this hadn't happened to me. Says Frodo, and the wizard guy says, "Hey, that's not for you to decide. All you have to do is think about what can you do with the time given you." And that's exactly <laughs> yeah. it, man. I've often thought yeah. of that, and it's like this thing is crazy. Well, yeah, but I got this time. Let's just. What are we gonna do with it, man? Yeah, it is hard exactly. to stay motivated. Like I find that myself. Like it's I, Groundhog's Day. It's like here we go again. Yeah. But well, I, think, I, I can give you a, you and everybody a tip. How do you stay motivated? And I don't mean in general the world. I mean us bass players and musicians. Man, put some good music on. <laughs> listen to some good music. You'll get excited. It'll start flowing. Any, anything you're listening to at the moment that you're you're digging? No, not really. Uh, this sounds a little weird, but mainly all I listen to is my own stuff. Mm -hmm. And I'm not talking about so I can, you know, hear how great I play. No, that's, yeah. not, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about stuff I'm working on, books and projects for those. Um, some songs. Rob Gorlay and I are just getting ready to do some new recordings which aren't related to books so uh, i've been listening to a bunch of his songs but no i've been i have been purposely withdrawn from the contemporary music world for many 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 years mm. and you have know you, have you sorry have you got into like the beat making you know like you you make your backing tracks oh have, have you decided to get deeper into it you know where you're adding in the layers of yeah. synth and midi and stuff yeah well yes and no not in a commercial sense and a contemporary sense, but there are lots of my backing tracks that have six and eight parts going on. Mm. You just can't hear them. Meaning I'm recording drums, which has three or four levels. See, I don't, I don't use, people always say, Jim, what drum machine you use? Well, I don't, I make the yeah, drum I, tracks. I, I knew you were making your tracks. So I was <laughs> yeah, curious. And I don't have a generic one. No, I make one mm. for everything that I do. So there's three or four parts. I do keyboards, I do guitars, Sometimes I do two guitars and I do bass or two or three basses. So that's enough for me. <laughs> it's fun <laughs> though, is isn't enough. it? It's really fun like, being the whole band. It. I have a I MIDI, I have a MIDI controller and I love playing a little bit of keys and then hearing sure. the bass responding to the cards and all these things. Oh, well, I've been, we I've been fascinated with a couple of new guitars recently. That, that's so illegal. All... That's, that's illegal on this channel. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh oh, cut that out. <laughs> but so you find those on all my tracks now. The cool little yeah. telly parts. Yeah, the telly uh, and a couple of couple guitar friends of mine going, man, you haven't played guitar like in 40 years. I'm like, so what, man? It's still the same. Let's just go. <laughs> <laughs> You're just enjoying it. Enjoying it's just journey. a little bitty bitty bass guitar is all it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, uh, remember the first Fenders that came out? The, the six, Fender six. So it was called? Of course I remember those. Of course. Did you ever I was around them, when like... they came out. Oh, no, really? I saw a couple friends. I'm like, nah, not for me. <laughs> and the, what about the eight, the multi-string bass? No, the eight string, where they have well, the, the octaves doubled. I have one. I have an eight string Hagstrom. Matter of fact, 
I can see it, but it's a little bit too far for me mm. to go get it. Yeah, yeah. I have an eight-string Hagstrom from like the 60s. I used to play that a lot. I haven't recently. Yeah, I want to get one. I want to get the Music Fox have a kind of... Oh, yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. There, you can cool. do some crazy stuff. And um, will we be hearing a release of your of this, of your own music this year, do you think, that you're working on? Yes, of course. Mm. Some of it will be, a lot of it, actually, virtually all of it, is in the, um, will be in the Fretless Project. Mm. They're all songs that I've written, I've played, I've worked out. They're not just, hey, look at this jam. No, they're songs. And then the stuff with Rob Gourlay. Actually, my son Grant's involved in some of that, too. He's been doing mostly the uh, recording and editing, but he's been playing some unique instruments, all the different instruments that aren't the bass, percussion mm. and stuff. Oh, Ooh. sure. Uh, I don't have an avenue to sort of put that out and you know try to sell it to the world. I'm not excited about all the online music business, so to speak. Yeah. So, but yeah, it'll be available. I'll have one of my videos and on my channel and with my book. Uh, it's always nice to see like what you're doing, you know, what hear your tracks that you're bringing out. Um, but I was looking at like, do you, well, when things go back to normal, you do a kind of a bass camp. Oh yeah. A, a bass workout. <laughs> I, I yes. wasn't, I wasn't sure what it was. So I looked it up and I was like, this is good. Really cool. Like, you know, um, I've scheduled the first one live in person in well over a year coming up this coming April. It's our first bass workout. Really? And it'll be in this very room which is designed and set up. There's amplifiers. You can't see it, but all around this room, there's a little amplifier set up. There's hangers on the wall to put your bass. This room will hold a good eight to 10 to 12 bass players. No problem at all. We've actually oh, really? crammed more in there, but yeah. It looks tiny from here. Like, but well, that's just because you're looking at the back. Of it. All in, all <laughs> but it's, uh, I don't know what the size of it is, but we can easily seat chairs for 12, 15 bass players. And every single person has their own amp. Uh, you can go online and look at all the pictures and the videos, mm. but um, we've done those since 2001 and we've done right about 90 of those too i think something like 88 or 89 of them over the years and this last year was the first time we didn't do one we did one mm. last january and normally i do about four a year um a number of years ago i was sort of excited about it we were doing eight and ten and twelve a year and we were doing them in different parts of the country too or not country different parts of the world but mm. we backed off but this so so we didn't do one at since January of 2020, but in April, we'll start our first one again. And I do that about every 90 days. Ooh. And we typically have never less than four or five guys. And I never, I don't like to have it really even 10 or 12. I like that about six and eight. That's about the right, seems like that's the right size for me to teach the way I do. And my favorite teaching, Stephen, believe it or not, is a group of five or six or seven bass players all at really? once. <laughs> I love that. That way I can see them and they can watch and interact off of mm. each other. I joke about it, which isn't really a joke. You come to a base workout and you'll see guys who are worse than you and you'll go, thank God I don't play like that. And then you'll see other guys. You go, Hey man, that guy's doing the same thing I am. Mm -hmm. Then you'll see other guys. You go, shit, I want to do that. Sure. <laughs> so that's that, that perspective is a really mm. cool part of hearing everybody play. That's it. Me. I was talking to another guest and we were saying like, you're always the best bass player in your little town. And then you go to college or you go to <laughs> the big city. And you're like, Always. I'm not the best bass player. I thought it was no, the best. Right. Yeah. Well, that's what, that's perhaps the major benefit about the bass workout, other than the fact that we play bass and learn bass all day for three days, is the fact that you gain perspective on what you're good at or bad at or what work you need. Because you can always find people who are better or worse than you. And mm -hmm. it just simply gives you perspective. Yeah. I'm into the pick bass playing myself. Oh, cool. I played the pick all my life. I love, it's so cool. Like when you are muting it, it it's, but it's a style that, more people need to get into i think the pick playing what you just said is my favorite sound with the pick i love to palm mute and mm. use the pick yeah i i, I like to just get the sharp scale it. bass and flat wounds and of the course mute. they're the, I, the i know the sound you're getting i hear it i know that sound exactly i love it 
that that might be another book idea there pick base <laughs> <laughs> i have considered it and i probably will down the road yeah, i recently a- uh released three new i had done one a couple of years ago I just recently this past year released three new guitar books so yeah i'll probably do a bass pick book so what else, so what else can we expect from you the rest of the year jim are you just going to keep uploading regularly keep the books coming out oh yeah of course i my my goal again knock on wood god willing and the crick don't rise my goal is just keep doing what i'm doing man i'll release you know 10 15 20 books make a video every single week by the way when you see on real bass lessons a video every week <laughs> That's one. I make about four to five videos a week. Really? And Oh, yeah. Some of them are for my books. Some of them are just entertainment for me. Real Bass Lessons has about 450 videos up, even though there's only 224 lessons. Sure. <laughs> That's and, then when, and then when I finish a book, like when I finish the newest, this newest uh, Finger Funk coming up, there'll be 62 uh, examples to make. And I'll probably make half of those with video. That's brilliant because I, I I have to do my video for this week for this thing I'm doing and sure. it's hard I'm finding it hard to get it get it finished but you're putting me to shame <laughs> four <laughs> videos a week. Well, I uh, I guess you could call me a workaholic or something, but I like getting stuff done. I like making things go and oh man, just go. Well, you, you, it, you love it, like you know. That's gonna say when you love it and it's a passion, man. I just can't get enough of it. That's brilliant. And you're living in Canada now. Is that that's where you're based? It's not Canada. It's no. New Hampshire. Interesting oh, New Hampshire, though. The sorry. town, the town is called Candia. And everybody goes, oh, Canada. No, no, no. <laughs> everybody does that. It's I, I live an hour north of Boston and it's uh, in New Hampshire. And again, it's Candia is the okay. name of the town. It's right beside a city called Manchester, which is in well, you know, England, of course, oh, but in, oh, in yeah, New Hampshire. Fi- is that the film Manchester by the Sea? Was it? Is that based on in the same yes, place? Yes, it's 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 down. It's actually Manchester, Massachusetts, which is about only forty minutes from here. But yeah, very good film, but a bit depressing. Yes, <laughs> yes, agreed, a, a agreed. <laughs> but uh, so you you're doing a festival in New Hampshire and everything your own at the moment. Well, you were planning. Well, we're going to do a base workshop. We are not hmm. doing right now, and I don't think I'll ever go back to do it again. We did for eight years the New Hampshire Base Festival. That was a four-day event, and that would be 50, 60, eh, never really more than 60 bass players, 40, 40, 50 bass players, 60. And no, we stopped doing that about three years ago. And no, I just wouldn't do it now because of the COVID thing. Mm, yeah, so I, running a festival, I did one before with 42 yeah. ba- bands and some of my friends oh, organized. It's a nightmare, isn't it? It's a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, it hurts. Believe me, it was just, it was me and my family that did it grant ran tons of it and we really liked it when we did it but it's like no we did it for eight years and it was great very successful but not anymore yeah just keep well i think you're you're busy enough with all the projects you, you have, bet. You're, you're juggling yeah plus in about another nine weeks it'll be spring enough here spring to go do some trout fishing so i'll be out there hey well jim you should come to ireland sometime do a bit of fishing you know i would love to my wife has visited ireland a couple of times and she oh, really loves it oh yeah has she got irish heritage no she no. just likes ireland she wants to visit wales this year yeah oh wales is actually very nice like it's they, yeah. they even have vineyards and everything on the on the coastline it's i've very, heard of that yeah really nice well yeah. jim i really appreciate coming on and giving me your time you're it's welcome. pretty cool like to to chat to someone I've been watching on the internet. I felt like I knew you already anyway, like. Well, that's that's such of the, you know, the advantage of the you know, benefit of the internet and that is we can make friends and do these things without having to be there, you know. Yeah. I appreciate everything you do on this invite. That that's so kind of you. Thank you. Well, uh, you you gave a lot of um inspiration there like it's it's great to hear someone who's so passionate about what they do like and 
What 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 do you say? Fire it up. Fuck, that's it. Fire it up, man. Get after it. Ha, 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 ha.